What's going on, everybody? It is the Crossing Broadcast. I got Russell on Joy. I got Kyle Scott. And coming up a little bit later, we're going to have Jonathan Wasserman from Bleacher Report. He's their lead NBA draft writer. We're going to ask him a lot of questions about Alonzo Ball, Josh Jackson. What is the realistic port part uh, ability of a trade with the Kings? Um, but unfortunately, we need to talk about our apparent Hall of Fame legendary racist uncle, uh, man. Mike Schmidt comes out, Abdul Herrera, it's been a topic all season. He's Venezuelan, he was the Phillies' only all-star last season. And when asked by Angelo this morning if he thinks Herrera is a player that Phillies can build around, he said, quote, my answer to that would be no. First of all, it's a language barrier. Because of that, I can't, I think he can't be a guy that would sort of sit in a circle with four or five American players and talk about the game or try and learn about the game or discuss the inner workings of the game or come over to a guy and say, man, you got to run the ball out. Uh, it blew up. ESPN magazine writer Kavita Davidson said, hey, remember when Hideki Matsui accepted the 2009 World Series MVP with his translator by his side? Mike Schmidt does not. Um, he has responded since. It's been made known to me that my answer on a radio interview this morning to the question, can the Phillies build a team around Abdul Herrera, was disrespectful to Herrera and Latin players in general. This is the part that you got to, I always get upset with this. I'm very sorry that this misinterpretation of my answer occurred and may have offended someone. I assure everyone I had no attention intention of that and then went on to talk about how great Herrera was. Uh, this was everywhere and it sucks. Kyle, like, is this going to like snowball into anything else or does this one comment kind of end? Uh, I mean, judging by the public reaction, my, my Twitter timeline is filled with people calling me a liberal snowflake, um, because I posted about it and made a tongue in cheek headline that he was a bigot and said jokingly, not jokingly, but tongue in cheek in the post ass racist, um, I think people who know me and get my sense of humor know that I'm not really like digging in on him being a racist. But the consensus from the public on this is that it's not as bad as it's being construed. And I tend to agree with that. I think it is. I think if the best way to describe it would be ignorant. Here's a guy who played kind of an old timey, very white baseball player. And uh, worse he wasn't talking about a guy being a leader. He was talking about a guy you can build around. And you could just clearly tell that Mike Schmidt's idea of someone you build a baseball team around is a very uh, acceptable white guy or a super acceptable black guy. And that's about it. Like, that's kind of the vibe I was getting from him. I don't think he's racist. I don't think he's dismissive of Latino players. But I think it's very clear that there's a vision in his head for what uh, the centerpiece of a baseball team looks like, and it's the all-American guy who's going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And I think it just kind of stops there. But what he said was dumb. It really was dumb. Like, was Hideki Matsui, when his interpreter accepted the World Series MVP in 2009, was that not a guy you could uh, build a team around or, you know, be the star of your team? Does, was Ichiro particularly eloquent in his English? I don't think so. There are a lot of guys who speak. Look at Carlos Ruiz. I saw Jim Salisbury brought this up on Philly Sports Talk tonight. He spoke English, but not well. And he was the leader of a group of, and this is pointed out by Salisbury, like four very, five very white pitchers from Florida, Mississippi, California. Um, the language thing is overdone a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a huge deal. Schmidt and the Phillies quickly reacted and apologized. His apology stinks. The if I offended anybody apology stinks because you're not really competent. Uh, 
you're not really copying to a f- being aware of why that might have been offensive to some people. And it was. It was dismissive of Latino players. But I think it stops here. Schmidt is too important to the Phillies, and everyone will happily move on from this. Russell? My apologies. I was just catching up on the Herrera. Uh, he he actually came out with his own statement on uh, on Schmidt's comments. Was it in English? Was it in English? Uh, pues, no estoy seguro, pero creo que fue en, en, en inglés, sí. Um, yeah, so he said, um, I don't agree with his comments, but I respect him as a player. I know he's one of the greatest Phillies players of all time, but I don't agree with his comments. It is disappointing because you never want to hear negative comments, but he called me, he apologized, and explained what happened. Everything is good. It's not as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. He f- goes on to say, uh, he was asked if he's ever had a problem communicating with his teammates. He said zero. And then he said that he told Schmidt to calm down, that everything was okay, and that he understood everything. And he said, I actually told him I still admire him as a player and that everything is all right. Quite frankly, I'm more focused on my game. I want to get better. I'm not thinking about it too much. I think that's about as Honestly, classy. Honestly, this was in is, English, right? Yeah. So, it would have been the greatest well, troll was, move ever. No, no, no. So this is, no, no, no. So he, this was through the translator. Uh, this was through the, uh, well, with the assistance of Diego Etegui, who's the, uh, the Phillies translator. I do think it's a classy response. It's about, it's about as solid of a response as you could expect, uh, given the situation. Um, it, it really is a shame because this is exactly the kind of thing that, that you would hope that a guy who represents the Phillies on so many levels would just know better than to say. And, and the first thing that stood out to me is I guess Albert Pujols was never a good team leader. I guess that David Ortiz was never a good team, you know, good team guy in the clubhouse. You know, it's just, it's a shame because for a game that is so Latin based, and that, you know, outside of the U.S., the, the Latin American market is, is where this game thrives. The fact that, it, that a guy who represents the Phillies as, a, as a, a broadcaster and as a team ambassador and one of their all-time greats, he has to know better than this. He has to, it doesn't matter if that's how he feels in private. You cannot say it. And the Phillies, I'm surprised, haven't actually come out and, and said something you know, publicly against what Schmidt said. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is you think about the impact of free agents. And then I think the only thing that I like about this is for the last, man, I don't know, eight, nine years, I always get very offended when they would trot back an old legend and be like, he's going to fix the hitters. And it's like, no, I don't care about nostalgia. I care about, about people in there that are doing a great thing. And I've always gotten the vibe that Schmidt was just this guy that they, he, they threw out there in losing seasons and was like, we got Michael Jack Schmidt. Remember that highlight? Remember that highlight with Callus when he hit it and he said his middle name? You know the story when he goes on the bus and talks to him? It was like this cover-up with nostalgia. And I think Schmidt needs to be separated from the team. I think it shows that he's not in that locker room. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. And I think the problem with the word leadership, when you're a leader, you think everyone has to lead like you. So that's why Schmidt was like, hey, guys, you got to run out that single. That's how he led. And so he just doesn't see him as that. Um, so and by the way, and by the way, you can lead like that without having to speak a lick of English. It's happened. It also, before. it also would have been fair to say that, like, maybe he can't be a leader if he's going to be benched because he's not hustling and he's not making contact at the plate. The second you know, part like, was all about how he hasn't played well. That was the only part he had to say. That was it. Um, so if we thought Schmidt had a bad day, uh, there's also Philadelphia 17 reporter Colleen Campbell, who it's one of the most 
I don't think you get a job in television ever again videos that I've ever seen. Uh, arrested Sunday night, verbally assaulting a Philadelphia police officer. Uh, she reportedly said on Facebook afterwards, so her apology included she was drinking and she may have been drugged. Um, Kyle, as someone who has been given a lot of these videos over the year, what was your take? I mean, she slurped 15 seconds in. Like, she audibly went... <laughs> 15 seconds. <laughs> uh, I didn't see her statement. The I may have been drugged is, uh, is, is classic. Nice. It's like nice saying work. that she had a, uh, what are they? Remember that one drugged lady said she had a stroke, uh, when she was like freaked <laughs> out on camera. Um, didn't that woman have a stroke? She actually did, but drugged is like, all right, <laughs> let's do a test. I don't know if that's apples to apples. Yeah, what I'm saying is so, well, it's like saying that your Twitter account is hacked, except you're saying that some guy put drugs in there. And so I went on a five minute rant about how police officers are awful. So it's like saying I had a stroke. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, she, um, yeah, that, that response sucks. I'm disappointed. I didn't put the, I saw the video last night. I can't believe you did uh, I, I'm, I'm mad at myself. I saw it last night right after Helium had posted it on Facebook, like 12 minutes after they posted it, watched it with my mouth agape. And I was like, all right, I should do a post on this. And then my thought was crap. Like, well, not crap. Like this woman deserves to be fired, but this is going to turn into a clusterfuck. I, I didn't expect it to get out there. I just thought it was one of those things that was going to get circulated around Facebook. But I guess, uh, my bad on my part, that thing was way too incisive to not become a local news story. And she, every, she absolutely deserved to get fired. That was completely ridiculous. I was more just in awe of the cop, that guy, someone's got to buy that guy a beer. Like what a hero that guy was. And I, I mean that like with a little bit of hyperbole, but she was just accosting him for six consecutive minutes talking about how, you know, it was good that people what want to shoot them. I mean, it was totally ridiculous what she was doing. And that guy just stood there, took it, nodded, gave almost nothing back, calmly cuffed her. Seriously, like she? I, I, when, when people talk about like Philly's finest, credit to that guy for for being able to handle that bitch. When she got in his face and she said, you wanted to arrest me from the second you met me, he said, no, I just wanted you to leave, which is what I think all these other people wanted you to do as well. And like, he was just so calm. And it's, it's almost like the exact thing that a local police, you know, could, could use as something what the next time, that there's, you know, something, this isn't to get political, but the next time that there's something where people start calling out, you know, police officers, this is a perfect example of the kind of stuff that they have to deal with on a daily basis when they, and like, think of how many people in every city in this country are absolutely trashed and say this kind of stuff to the police. Like, I don't is, understand why local TV people still believe that their job is so important that when they say it out loud, when they're getting in trouble, they think people will stop arresting them. I am a local news reporter. I want you guys to know that I learned two weeks into my first TV job that my job didn't mean shit. I was in Nebraska. I was in a car. I had to go to Jewel, Kansas to cover a tornado. It was two and a half hours away. I had literally 50 minutes to shoot, do all my interviews and come back. On the way back in Nebraska, you're driving along a dirt road and it's no speed limit. And then all of a sudden there's a small town. I, a small town just pops up out of nowhere. I'm cranking out 75 and I jam on the brakes and I stop right before an intersection where there is a woman with a baby walking across the street. Like it was a, 
oh shit moment. Baby, a woman kept walking. I started driving. Woo woo. Cop pulled up. I'm two weeks into my first job. I lean out the window and I smack the side of the car and I say, man, I'm with the news. I got to get back or this story's not going to get on the air. And he reached for his pistol and said, I don't give a fuck who you are. Get back in the car. And that's when I realized really early on the the entitlement of people in the media is some of the most incredible stuff ever. Like how you joked around with me last time, like, man, if you were in Philly, you'd be getting a, a lot of girls at the bar. Like, I don't know who these people think they are that they think they're these like cool cat swingers. Like you go on TV and talk for three <laughs> minutes, like you're you, and you don't even have a job that relates to any other profession. So I'm just always amazed. We saw those with Britt McHenry. We've seen this so many times. Do you know who I am? I I really don't care, and I don't know where this ego comes from. This happened with a certain Philadelphia radio host. Was it three years ago, Kyle? I don't remember if you. I, I remember the guy's name. Oh, t- Tom Byrne. Yeah. yeah, who was doing nights and weekends. I think he was in an Uber or a taxi. And nights he, and weekends, he, and he thinks he matters. Although in fairness, now he's on Sirius. Yeah. Like, dude's career's gone. You know, gone upward after that. But uh, yeah, he was drinking and no pulled problem. the "Do you know how I am?" card with a cabbie. I I don't remember if there was a fight. Uh, but at, at best, he was doing what this woman did. At worst, I thought there was a skirmish, but I don't want to. I don't want to say that matter of factly because I'm not sure. I think the the problem with the media people, like, like when you you have an audience, right? So you are this like micro celebrity. Even if you're on the news somewhere. Sure. By the way, when she busted out PHL 17, <laughs> like. Like he, um, he put a second set of cuffs on her. I would assume like that's not, if you drop an action news. All right. Maybe you wiggle out of that. You know, are you uh, are you on Monica Mel pass? Maybe you could sidestep that, although she had her own uh, issues in the past. But um, yeah, like you are a micro celebrity. And you have followers. So I can understand how it's easy to get an ego. And I was I was only half joking about you slaying them on being TV in Philly. Like there are people you will get to go to events. And in Philly, there are. News people are our local celebrities, for better or worse. So just by nature of being on TV consistently gets you into a lot of doors, gets you into a lot of parties. Of course, and there's of some, no, some small subset of chicks that would want to sleep even with you, Adam. I have gone to bars and oh. up and go, hey, man, I, I really like what you do. And then a girl looks at him and goes, who are you? And then I'm like, okay, that was easier. But if you <laughs> think that you're important, I just think it's crazy. I think that we're all going to be on the same side with this. Colangelo announced that Embiid and Simmons won't play in the summer league. Really quickly, do we all say good? I don't care anyway. Like I'm so okay I was, with them not. Playing. I didn't even know. I was shocked that it was news. I just yeah, I don't like want everyone them to play. knew this was going to happen. Case. Yeah, no. Russ, are you the same way? Yeah, I I actually was surprised that there were so many people. Like I know that there are people that are legitimately frustrated about this, and it's like the last thing that you should want is to watch one of your franchise cornerstones once again get injured in, in a meaningless summer league game. In Vegas. I don't need them in Vegas. There's nothing good that happens in Vegas. If they impress, who cares? Uh, Except the, uh, the NHL expansion draft in a couple weeks. That's happening in Vegas. Big yeah. Time. So 16 years ago today was game one of the Sixers-Lakers finals. 107-101. I would say the last great Sixers moment. Uh the big shot, 103.99, Iverson crossover, hits the shot, steps over Lou. The question for both of you is, do you remember where you were and what your reaction was when it happened? Kyle, go ahead. I don't. Oh. I, the only, I, I was most likely in 
my parents' basement as a blogger. Uh, that seems like a good home. No, it was, it was right after I graduated high school. My high school graduation party was Game 7 against the Bucks, and we brought a TV outside, which back then was a big deal to be able to watch something outside. Hmm. I want to say I was probably just in the basement watching Game 1. I don't remember the moment, though. Like I can recall... Almost, I can recall Philly's 93 moments, like mm. what I was doing during the 93 run, certainly the Flyers' 97 run. Other than Game 7 against the Bucks, I recall very few Sixers' 2001 moments. Wow, what about you, Russ? I, I was in Mexico. Um, I, I was, yeah, I was on vacation in Mexico. Um, I was not a big sports fan at the time, and I remember watching that highlight. I didn't actually see the game. I, I remember watching that highlight, and then saying, man, I really hope the Sixers win. And then they went on to uh, to lose the next few. And I, yeah, I remember watching the, uh, about the, your, the Kobe, your Philly cred. the, the uh, Kobe and Shaq, you know, domination. Although I have to say, Adam, I think Andre Iguodala and Evan Turner would be quite offended that that you wouldn't consider their 2012 win over the Bulls when uh, Andre jumped up on he jumped Fuck up on that. the scorers yeah, table, yo, and then listen, Evan Turner. I know that you. I know that you How came that late. Not, because you know? I know you came late to the Sixers fandom, apparently, but that shit was so fucking meaningless. Derrick Rose wasn't playing. It was so stupid. And Joakim Noah got I knew this was going to happen. God, I, Dude, know. I knew this was going to happen. During that series, I went to my friend. I went, people are going to talk about this series like it fucking mattered in 10 years. <laughs> Damn it. All right. I remember- Russ, I just developed a hatred for Russ that for really dismissing the 2001 Sixers. Hair. Well, I, just, I mean, like, oh, I was just getting into basketball in 2001. There were one of the one of the great runs in Philly oh sports history. God. But oh, let's talk about that meaningless Sixers run in oh 2012. I wasn't. Way, I wasn't in every day. No, I'm just saying I wasn't like in every. I wasn't like in every game watching fan. I, I just wasn't. Like, sorry. I was at the edge of my bed in the same spot where I watched uh, Freddie Mitchell's fourth and twenty six. So I think I need to go back and sit in that spot from now on. What I remember from that game, though. Do you remember the Rajah Bell spin and scoop that cut the lead to 99-96? And then people forget that, like, Kobe came down and hit a shot, and then Eric Snow had the running one-foot runner to ice the game. Like, I still thought the Rajah Bell and Eric Snow teardrops were just as impressive as the Tyrone Lue stepover, but that has taken a place in lore. And then also, like, Tyrone Lue defended AI well the rest of the series. Like, he got him one time, and then Lue was all – he was he was an AI stopper. The only teardrop yeah, I, I, I remember of Eric Snow is when he got fired for uh, falling asleep during a Sixers game when he was the color commentator. Go ahead, awesome. Kyle. No, I forgot. I forgot. Russell, I Russell, Russell has all the memories from the last five years. Yeah, uh, Jesus, Russ. I just yeah, want to point out, like, remember, I, 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 didn't remember, to... I do remember Raja Bell being yes. like, wow, this guy out of nowhere. That's, he, that's he, about he it. He turned into the Kobe stopper for a little bit. Even Phoenix picked him up to be yeah, They called him that. It was ridiculous. I, Adam, uh, Russ is currently Googling him. No, look, I just want to point <laughs> out the fact I didn't get to enjoy that great run because I was an idiot. So I have gone through my penance of watching every Sixers game the last 10 years, no, 15 years. I've been watching. You were also ten years game. old at that point. Yeah, so but which is which is you know part of the. I did not I know about I have Russ watched every game, every to, one. Hollis I, freaking Thompson, Xander, Blue, like, I'm there. I'm uh, sorry. He's mentioning Xander Blue. And do you know who Matt Geiger is? Do you know who George Lynch is? Yes, I know who do Matt you know, Geiger. Remember, yes, remember, remember Tyron Lue? I remember Ty, or no, not Tyron Lue. Oh, Tyrone, yes. Hill. Tyrone Hill. Tyrone <laughs> Hill, baby. Tyrone Hill. Ugliest man alive. Oh God. 
He kept going back to the Cavs. Yeah, I remember. I remember some right. Russ, the next time Derek you Coleman. say your favorite team is the Sixers, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna remind you that you didn't participate in the 2001 Sixers and see how that sits with with all your fellow process trusters who are living this. And at age six, the guys who are 20 now, the guys at age six and eight who can finally remember asking their parents to stay up late to watch the game. And Russ, like, oh, I was in Mexico. The fuck was, are you doing in Mexico as a ten year old? Yeah, why are you going to Mexico? I was on vacation. <laughs> you know? Hey, it, it wrapped up, right? Like this this went full circle. And I yes. and I even spoke a little bit of Spanish down there. See that? Take that, Mike Schmidt. You take that. Uh so yeah, why don't you hit us up in the comment section uh in iTunes or leave us a tweet and what other major sports moments did Russ miss? Uh, hit us out with Russ, Russ, Mikey missed. We'll add them together. Uh, so from, so from nostalgia to the past, uh, let's start talking about draft with my main man, Jonathan Wasserman. All right. Now we're welcoming in the lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. My main man, John Wasserman. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at NBA draft was, uh, he also has a podcast on iTunes called the NBA prospect cast. Uh, okay, Was last Friday, you know that we're Philly-centric. Uh, it was right after that news came out that maybe the Lakers were going to take Lonzo Ball, and you have Lonzo Ball going to the Sixers at three. You have Fultz at one of the Celtics, Jackson to the Lakers. What What is your take on the fit for Lonzo Ball and the Sixers? Is this a dream scenario for us, not including all of the LeVar Ball nonsense? <laughs> yeah, I do. I think it's really um, a good fit for both parties, both Lonzo and Philly. Clearly, we know that the 76ers need a guard, even if Ben Simmons is the primary ball handler. They need they need guards. And Lonzo Ball, to me, fits perfectly because he's not a guy who needs to completely dominate the ball, right? He doesn't take it away from Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. He's a guy who can make a gigantic impact without taking too many dribbles, without taking too many shots. He moves the ball, he shoots it, and if you're Lonzo Ball, I mean, I think you're happy to go to Philly with a young team, with a promising future, you know, no, no clutter in the backcourt with D'Angelo Russell. They have a decent defense in place and they need, they need an offense enhancer, right? Philly finished number 30 in the NBA in offensive efficiency and Lonzo Ball, what's his biggest strength is his ability to make those guys around him better, just like he did at UCLA. I'm curious. I know a lot of times you talk to a lot of people in the league. Do you have any, maybe some intel on the Sixers and what their big board would be or any intel on that? I really don't have any special things on the Sixers. They're pretty tight-lipped. They don't really talk about to media what their big board looks like. You know, you really kind of have to just play it by what their roster is, who's projected to go in that range. Now, I assume if Lonzo Ball is there at number three, they're going to take him regardless of what Colangelo said about he's tough to take because of the guys around him. I, I think that's just smoke. I think if Lonzo ball is there at number three, they take him. I don't, I don't know how they feel about the Aaron Fox, but it, it's such, there's such an obvious conflict and clash, I think between Fox and between Ben Simmons, because they're both ball dominant guys who don't really play off the ball and neither of them shoot. So I, so I, I as many people think that Darren Fox may be the next best player on the board. I can't imagine Philly going with Fox. Now the big question with Philly is, I'm sure they like, they like Malik Monk, right? He makes so much sense for, for what they need. The question is, is three too high to take him? Okay, well, then I'll ask that as my final question before I turn it over to uh, Kyle and, and my man Russ. If he is the best fit, 
then why not take him at three? Like philosophically, I understand there's value, but you're getting one player. Why not take him there? Not like if you're not able to make a trade with the Kings, which I know we're going to get to in a second. Yeah, because there may be better players. Um, Jason Tatum may be able to do the same things that Malik Monk does, but Tatum, 6'8", who plays the wing, which they could use, and he could be a better two-way player down the line. I I, I see Malik Monk as a six-man type guy. Um, I don't see him as a superstar player. Now, on paper, he does what they need, which is make jump shots, play without the ball, and, and score. But... In real life, I don't see him being a superstar player. I think there are guys with higher upside like Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum um, or maybe even a Darren, Darren Fox, even though I, I don't love him. Jonathan Isaac is a guy from Florida State who I would take ahead of Malik Monk at number three. Uh, what do you got for him, Kyle? Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you on ball. If he's there, that's the guy I want the Sixers to take. He he fits. But I guess if there was one concern about him that people around here have been talking about, it's the fact that he's a distributor. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's fairly well-rounded, I guess, but he's, he's, his, you know, main focus is ball distrib- distribution. You got Ben Simmons, who's a distributor. Is there a little bit of a clash there? I know ball can shoot, but he's not like a natural scoring shooter, like a monk. So like, is there a little too much ball distribution and not enough scoring with the two of those guys? Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely, um, I think that's something to think about. Uh, at the same time, is anybody going to come in and, and be that big scorer that they need? I think I think they got to find that scorer in free agency. And they won't be able to find that Lonzo Ball in free agency. In fact, he's so rare. He may not A player like him may not come around again. So, um, yeah, I, I see the need for a, an offensive-minded guy who can go out and get you a basket, and that's not Lonzo Ball's game, right? I wouldn't be surprised if Lonzo Ball never averaged more than 15 points per game in a season. But at the same time, I think you can't pass on what he brings to the table as a passer and a guy who creates good looks within the offense, which is really what Philly needs. And you put his passing next to Ben Simmons, and you're going to get a lot of open shots. All right, so let me ask you uh, a question. Uh, Lonzo Ball's fit on the team, um, I, I worry about his, his jump shot at the next level, him getting off that shot. Not necessarily his percentages, but just being able to get that shot off the dribble being able to be a knockdown shooter like they need, which I guess is why so many of us are gravitating towards Malik Monk. My, I guess my primary concern now is, assuming that he fits offensively, is Lonzo Ball a guy who can, who can guard the one or a guy who can guard the two? Because I, I'm very skeptical about Ben Simmons guarding either lead guard, and I think he, he slots in more as, as guarding the three or even the four. Can Lonzo play D on, on a lead guard? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, if you watched him play Kentucky, the answer is no. But um, I think he ended up actually defending a couple two guards. I think that's actually what he's better suited for. Um, yeah, he gets caught up in screens a lot. He's a, he's somewhat easy to beat or to get past around the perimeter. Um, I don't know if it's a big enough reason to pass on him. Uh, it's something to think about, and you'd have to continue to build your roster around that and to maybe get another guard who can do a better job of guarding those quicker ball handlers. Um, yeah, it's something to think about, but I don't know how much I'd factor it into my evaluation or, or scouting equation. 
Uh, it's interesting. There is a special love when we hear the Sacramento Kings in trade in Philadelphia. Uh, we <laughs> capitalized on that in this year's lottery. So Chad Ford on his paywall. So I'm sorry to push this out there without paying Chad. Uh, with regard to the Kings head today, there's talk inside the organization about combining picks five and 10 to move up in the draft to secure, secure De'Aaron Fox. If they found a taker, that would be a high price to pay to move up two to three spots. Curious. Who you could get at five and ten, is that worth who you could get at three? Is the guy at three going to be that much better than five and ten? And then who do you think would be available at five and ten? You know what? I think if Lonzo Ball is on the board, Philly stays at number three. But if it goes Fultz and Lonzo Ball, then if I'm Philly, I'll happily move down to number five and easily take that number ten pick uh, because there isn't much of a difference between the three to ten range in my opinion, if Lonzo Ball is gone. Mm. Um, if they go down to five, then I think Malik Monk is available and you can get that, that guy who fits. And then obviously at number 10, I think you take the best player available of the top 10 guys is a, pretty much a consensus of who that top 10 is. Um, and they'll take whoever falls to them at 10. But yeah, if, if Ball is not there, um, I, you know, Josh Jackson is a guy who people link at number three because Jackson stands out as possibly the best player available. Another guy who I have a lot of concerns about in terms of his fit, in Philly as a, a guy who kind of has a lot of Ben Simmons skills and weaknesses as well without, without that convincing jumper. So I, I think it makes sense for Philly to move down to five and 10 if Lonzo Ball is not available to them at three. Yeah, I, I agree with you that um, if they can move back and come out of here with Monk, that's just fine by me. Um, so let's stay on Monk for a second then. Who do you, um, let's talk, I want you to talk a little bit about his game. I, you called him a six man. I've seen him described on one of the draft sites as like an elite role player, which is, which is a good thing. And it's a role the Sixers need. So I don't have a problem with them coming out of, out of the draft at five with him. Who do you think realistically would be available at 10 in that scenario? Assuming that, you know, ball's not available and the Sixers and Kings do trade, which I don't know how much, how much there really is to this. If I'm the Kings, I'd be. The trade makes sense if they really have their eye on Fox, but I'd be pretty wary of trading more draft picks with the Sixers if if only because of the optics of it and how poorly it worked out the first time. Yeah, number 10, um, I mean, Dennis Smith Jr. could actually be there at number 10. I, I really God, believe I that. God, I would love that. I would love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, p- people are <laughs> are skeptical. <laughs> the old left go, ugh. Um, people are skeptical. Yeah, but you come out of there with with Monk and Smith, Adam? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a win. Yeah, can... of course. Of course. I, I'm just going to let you know it's going to feel a lot like Derek Barnett. I'm going to be like, guys, I don't like it. I wanted the French guy. But at 10, he would likely be, You're like 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 Awas said, whoever the best of the, the top 10 would be you get. Yeah, Larry Markinen is another guy who could be there at 10. And, you know, depending on how Philly kind of maneuvers their roster, whether Ben Simmons actually plays guard, then then I guess they can play uh, a Larry Markinen at the four spot. And he's arguably the best shooter in the draft. Frank Nilekina um, is definitely a name who's going to be there. You just mentioned the French guy. Um, he, he plays both positions. He, he's a defender. He's a shooter. I see him more as a three and D guy than a playmaker. Uh, but at number 10, you know, you can't be too picky. I think he'd give you good value there as both in terms of need and fit. So one of those guys, um, even the Donovan Mitchell from Louisville, who, who has really risen up boards and the guy I really like, at least in, in that tier, um, in that uh, 10 to 15 tier, I think Mitchell is another guard that, that would fit well in Philly. Uh, here's a, a quick question for you. So I, I, I think in my dream scenario, if the Sixers are able to trade back and acquire five and ten, 
if the Sixers walk away from this draft with a Jonathan Isaac at five and either Frank Tilakina um, or a uh, Donovan Mitchell at 10, is that a win for the Sixers? And can those two specifically play together? Yeah, I don't see why not. I, I would certainly think that's a win for the Sixers. Um, I'm a big fan of Isaac. I think he's going to be a very special player, um, not just offensively, where he has a lot of upside as a 6'10 guy who could handle the ball and looks pretty good from behind the arc. But that defensive versatility, which holds so much value in today's league, I think he's a guy who could play that pick-and-roll defense, block shots at the rim, switch around the perimeter. And then you mentioned Franklin Lakina at 10. I see still, still see him more as a role player, but another defensive guy who could shoot. And you fill that roster, you surround... You surround Simmons and Embiid with defensive players who could shoot. It sounds like a recipe for success. So typically mock draft season is interesting with NFL and NBA. The first wave, everyone seems to kind of be going with public perception. Then we recently had our first big change, which was Alonzo not at two going to three. And then the GMs start talking and the media starts putting out new buzz. Is there anyone that's in that top 10 that you think could fall out? And is there maybe anyone right now that you think we're not talking about enough as making a run towards that top 10? I really can't see anybody from the projected top 10. Uh, I guess everyone has a different projected top 10, but mostly it's let's go Fultz ball, Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox, Jason Tatum, Jonathan Isaac, Larry Markton, Malik Monk, Frank Nilekina and Dennis Smith jr. I can't right now. I just can't see any of those guys falling out of the top 10. I think there's a gap between those guys I just mentioned and the next plus next best player available. I could see Donovan Mitchell rising and the Knicks taking him. Uh, you know, he's a tough athletic guard who could shoot and score and does all those things that, that you like in today's league from, from a, from a guard. But um, unless, you know, somebody really thinks out of the box with Donovan Mitchell, um, I can't really see anybody else. Maybe Zach Collins and Sacramento at number 10 is always so unpredictable. They always do crazy things. Uh, you know, there's a, a couple of international guys. Last oh, year we saw right. we lost. Yeah, they took week. those two big guys. We were going nuts together on draft night. <laughs> they took Papi Giannis, who I got a text from a scout right before the draft and said, I heard Papi Giannis might have a second round promise. Meanwhile, Sacramento goes and takes him at 10. There's a kid from <laughs> Latvia. Uh, whose name is Andres Pasekniks, who has two workouts in the lottery, according to his agent. He's a 7'2", really mobile guy with three-point range, and he's one of those wild cards you look for. Maybe a team like Sacramento could get crazy and take him at 10. But I, I think at this point, I, I would not predict that the top 10 would change. Well, I'm curious. I know that you don't, you're not in Philly right now, and you say they're keeping it tight. What are maybe other scouts, other GMs, saying about Philly, whether it's Colangelo or what they might do. Are you hearing anything there? Nobody seems to know. Um, nobody, I, I haven't heard any definitive, you know, answers about what each team thinks. Um, uh, it's really tough to say. Um, I don't have anything specific on, on what Philly wants. And again, it's going to depend on who's available to them. And um, uh, you hear a lot of different answers from a lot of different people. Uh, some people actually do like De'Aaron Fox over Lonzo Ball, which would really change things for Philly. Um, I heard a, another scout says no way that the Lakers pass on Lonzo Ball. It's really tough. Um, nobody seems to have a direct grasp on who's going where and who likes who. So I think the consensus is if Lonzo Ball is there for the Sixers at three, they take him. If for some some reason, although it's seeming less likely they could possibly trade up with the Celtics, which it doesn't sound like they're going to do, then obviously Fultz or Ball are the Sixers guys. As far as a fit, the role player, it's Monk. I mean, he fits what they need to do. But 
assuming they stay at three and things go as projected, Fultz one, Ball two. Now the Sixers are sitting there at three. They have Josh Jackson on the board. He's the best available player. Um, do they take him? And if so, then what do they do? What are the? What do you think their free agent options then would be at guard? I, I've thought that, to me, J- Jackson looks like a guy who, yeah, he can't shoot, but he is um, you know, incredibly talented in many regards. They'd have a pretty fearsome defense with a guy like that, but they would need to address the guard position. So talk about Jackson, if you think he would make sense on the Sixers, and then um, what do they do at guard afterwards? Well, he'd be my best player available at number three. In fact, my yeah. big board right now is Jackson at two, and not necessarily for his high ceiling, because it really comes down to how much he improves as a shooter. I just... I have I couldn't feel better that Jackson's going to come into the league and he's going to stick for a long time and he's going to be a starting player, um, even if he's not a star. So I, I put a lot of value into that. Uh, I don't know who they go after in free agency. Um, I haven't looked that far into it. I, obviously, we hear the Kyle Lowry name come up all the time. And um, tough to say, at least for me, because that's not what I'm concentrating on and who they're going to target. But Jackson, if they think he's the best player available, they're going to take him. That's just how GMs think. I think sometimes as media and fans, we overreact to team fit uh, that high in the draft. I mean, if you think Josh Jackson is going to be a star, you take him and you worry about the fit later. I think if they are talking about fit and they do factor that into the equation, because scouts will tell you if they have a tie between two players, they will use fit as the tiebreaker. I think uh, you could argue Tatum may be the better fit because they need a score on the wing, like you mentioned before. And Tatum's a guy who can create his own shot and, and get his own buckets in the half court. I'm not positive. I'm not confident. That's Josh Jackson right now. Jackson's more of a, uh, I don't want to say kid Gilchrist, but he's like, but he's like a, an all around athlete who can defend. Yeah. Right. Sure. He's, he's a, a Jack of all trades guy, as opposed to, um, a go-to score. He's not put it this way. If there's 10 seconds left in the game, you're not going to give the ball to Josh Jackson and say, go get me a basket. You're not going to give him the ball at the end of shot clocks. That's not, that's not his game. Whereas you can give the ball to Tatum and say, go get me a basket. And right now, outside of Embiid, I think Tatum would be the only other guy in the lineup that could do that. I don't think Ben Simmons has that ability to create his own shot. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so about Tatum then we've, we've talked about him on the podcast here. I think around here, uh, Jaleel Okafor gets a lot of ire because when he gets the ball, mm-hmm. um, he you know he becomes a little bit of a black hole. He's more of an old old fashioned ISO player, and I think a lot of people, myself included, have kind of projected him on Tatum, not just because of the Duke thing, because of their style. Even though Tatum plays you know one position smaller than Okafor plays, what is your sense on Tatum's game in the NBA? Obviously, he has a skill set where he's going to be able to contribute. It looks like fairly immediately. Um, maybe with a ceiling that's not quite as high, but he seems like a pretty well-rounded player. But on a team like the Sixers, um, is there a little concern with him being kind of more of an ISO player and get a, getting a lot of his points um, you know, off the two-point jump shot? I think that's a concern with every team out there, not just the Sixers. And I have Tatum at number seven on my board. I'm not super high on him. Uh, he's number seven because I'm confident that he's going to be an NBA player. He's probably going to start from day one till year 10. Yeah. Um, you know, his, his tools pass the eye test. He's clearly polished. He has the production at Duke to show for it. He reminds me a lot of Harrison Barnes, and I think he's going to score a lot of points in this league. The question is, is he going to do it efficiently? Is he going to make anyone better around him? Is he going to make the ag offense stagnant? You know, he's got to find a way to, to get his points within the flow of the offense. And at times over his career, uh, just like you said with Okafor, he could be a black hole. He's a ball stopper a little bit. He took more two-point jumpers than threes and shots at the rim, which the analytics guys hate. So there are definitely major questions with his style of play. But when it comes down to it, he's just 
you know, we have to, I want to be simple with it. He's just too good of a basketball player to dock too much, right? He, he's, he's a really good basketball player. Uh, the question is how high does his ceiling go and, and how does he fit with the four other guys around him? When you prepare for the draft, I know like in the NFL, um, they often talk about the, the value of each pick by round and, and position. Do you do anything like that for the NBA draft? Because the, the thing that I keep coming back to is Philly fans, maybe more than any other fans in the country, overvalue their players. And when they hate their player, they undervalue them maybe more than anybody else. And the number one guy, the one that we just talked about, was Jaleel Okafor, who I think is probably in Philly at the lowest value he's ever been at and ever might be at. <laughs> How much value could Jaleel Okafor fetch in an effort to get back into the first round? Do you think he has any value whatsoever league-wide? What's the league saying about him? Do they talk about him at all? Do they even remember he's in the league? <laughs> I, sometimes when I'm talking about Philly's roster, I literally mention their three core players and forget that he's actually there, too. Uh, uh, we do, I too. think to the right... Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't blame you. Um, there's a lot of negatives, but there are also enough positives to say he's not a complete waste. Um, I, I think he can... You know, Ennis Cantor in that six-man role, I think there is a there is a role for him somewhere, but he needs that somewhere needs to be a very specific place that requires his skill set. And 15 minutes a game off the bench for, for an offensive specialist, um, I, I think there's a role for him now. The question is, how much value do you put in that role, and can he get you a first-round pick in return? If I'm Philly, I'm offering him to every team in the 20s. I'd rather have a pick in the 20s than Gio Okafor, which really sounds crazy. Based and on would he embrace saying. that role? I mean, I think on the Sixers, we'd love for him to come off the bench and be happy with it. But, it, I mean, I'm not, I'm not so sure that's a role he, he's willing to embrace anywhere. I don't yeah, know how many a, Philly fans really want him to uh, to be on this team, even as I'd a sixth man. I'd be happy having him come off the bench. but You might be in the very small minority, my friend. <laughs> I'll take him. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, off the bench for 10, 15 minutes to say, go in there and score a couple of baskets around the paint and then come out so he doesn't kill your defense. You know, I think there's a team there. I can't think off the top of my head of who, who'd be the best fit, but there's got to be some playoff team out there who needs some type of offensive spark off the bench, even if it's for, you know, a couple minutes in the second quarter and a couple minutes in the third quarter. But, you know, we'll, we'll see if any team would actually be willing to give up a first round pick at this point. And you, you mentioned his, his attitude and is willing to embrace that role. Uh, you know, I haven't been around Okafor that much lately, so I don't necessarily know where his head's at, but that would be pretty disappointing based on the way his value has gone. If, if he is stubborn enough to put up a fight and say, I, I don't want to go anywhere where my role is diminished. Russ, so do you want to Russ, yeah. ask your late round picks? Yeah, I just one quick follow up. Does does like a San Antonio make make any kind of sense as a, a late round grab to package a couple of the second round picks? San Antonio loves the draft and stash and they can try to resurrect Jaleel's career. He could spell Aldridge off the bench. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, on paper, it does. San Antonio, I don't think they're they're known for trading draft picks. I can't think of I don't know if you guys have any any. Uh, mm. You can remember. I can't remember them ever trading a draft pick. They always uh, value that pick that's always in the twenty-five to thirty range, and they draft and stash him um, unless they really have a desire or think that Okafor can move the needle for them next year. Uh, then I can't see them really taking the bait. Okay. Um, my question, I guess, late. If assuming that the Sixers are able to package a few of those second rounders and maybe an Okafor. Do you think a guy like Jonathan John from from France makes any sense as as a backup center on this team or as a draft and stash for a year or two to, you know, essentially kind of fill the Nerlens Noel role 
that this team lacked so much after the trade deadline. Yeah, he's really, um, this kid is really interesting, Jonathan Jean. Um, man, he is, I watched him at the NBA Combine. That was the first time I saw him live. And he was clearly had no strength really at all. He lost the ball when he was in traffic. He got moved around inside. At the same time, he had some unbelievable finishes that were just unguardable because he's 7'2 with a 7'9 wingspan. So if we're talking late picks in that 25 to 30 range, you can get yourself in that range. Sure. I mean, he's going to, I assume he's going to go in that range by another team. Um, I feel he doesn't trade for him, but yeah, he makes plenty of sense um, as a draft and stash guy or a backup big to fill that New Orleans Noel role. Do you think there's any chance that a wacky team like a Sacramento that has the second pick, if they're the crazy ones to to make just the wildest pick at 10, do you think there's any chance that, that a Sacramento or even like a, a Denver or somebody ends up kind of taking him based on his measurables? And they say the heck with the with the valuation on him being probably a late pick. Um, you need you need a very special general manager who loves to gamble to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, over the he hasn't done anything over the past couple of years. Uh, he, he's played for developmental teams. He hasn't really had any experience um, in pro way and very few minutes playing against quality competition. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen teams like we've seen Sacramento make those wacky moves. So I wouldn't write it off. I certainly wouldn't bet on it. But yeah, I mean, Denver also thinks out of the box sometimes. It's possible. I wouldn't put my money on it, but but certainly possible. I, I would have him going closer in that, like you said before, 25 to 30 range. Jay Wass, Bleacher Report's lead NBA draft writer, man. We appreciate your time, dude. Thank you for joining the Crossing Broadcast. All right, buddy. I'll see you soon. All right, my man. Enjoy yourself. Um, Thank you. All right. So uh, let's... What Wasp was saying, it sounds like it's Lonzo Ball or Josh Jackson, or if they trade down, it's, uh, what's his nuts, Malik Monk, and then we see who's there at 10. Which one? So, you, so I feel like both of you guys want the trade. I, I want to point out the fact that many weeks ago, I brought up the name Jonathan Isaac, and I was, I was met with a, quite a bit of scorn. And now Wasp just kind of validated me. Why? What and, did he say? As, he didn't say anything about the Sixers taking him. That was stupid. No, but he no. He said, uh, well, I did ask him. He said is he was it a talented. Win? I, said, I said, is it a win if they end up with Isaac at three and then one of these other guards like a Donovan Mitchell uh, or Frank Tilakina at 10? And he said, yes, how that are is, they that's three, in fact a win. Five and 10. I, I'm sorry, five and 10. Um, but he did say a few times, he, he did seem to rave about the upside of Jonathan Isaac. I just want to say, as the guy, as the Cosmo of this uh, podcast, as Toby, as the absolute, you know, coming out of left field, oh, I feel validated off. today. I feel great. Kyle is like hiding in a shadow right yeah, now. Yeah, Kyle is it's in darkness. Like- I'm watching intern Bill spitting in a cup. He, I mean, that cup needs to be like filled right now. I mean, that dude's been. I can't even see intern Bill. Can you get? Can yeah. I don't even, Can he see yeah, me? I can cool. see intern Bill better than you. He even has. I don't see. I just, he's just a circle in my Skype. Yeah, Kyle, you do look like a Sith. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm in the back of my bedroom when it gets dark back here. Um, just stare. Anyway, so anyway, so I am I am I darker than I am in the mornings? Yes. Yes. Exponentially oh, less light. That's you look why. like you just okay. ran into the surface of the moon. You're extra crispy, Kyle. That's good. That's good. I'm because I'm nice and pale, so that works. Uh, yeah. Look, it's. I think he he kind of all the things that we distilled over a couple of podcasts, he pretty much validated. I, I kind of feel good about our analysis because 
Um, I think we all agree that Ball was a guy we would take if he's available. And I I was going to bring up LeVar Ball, but the fact that he didn't come up, I think... Yeah, it's better. Yeah, I think it's better. I, and I, I, I think most people are in agreement that he's not going to be a factor here in where Ball gets drafted unless the Lakers just for some reason are so off-put by being him being so close to the team. But I think we're all in agreement, including John, that, that Lonzo Ball is the guy if he's there at three. He had the same reservations, um, you know, but also felt really good about Josh Jackson putting him number two overall. That's uh, that's high praise putting him over Lonzo Ball. So I, I feel good about our analysis there. I do think he he mentioned Kyle Lowry, not me. So I'll just let him do that if you take a Jackson. But I love, I really do love the idea of trading back, assuming that Mark trading up for Markel Fultz is right. not possible. And that Lonzo Ball is gone, uh, I absolutely think trading back and taking Monk at five. Uh, I got to admit, I came a little when he said they can get Dennis Smith Jr. at 10. Uh, if you walk away Dude, from Dude, you trip, can't say that when you're in the dark and we can't see anything. Okay? We have no evidence that that didn't happen. Now I think it happened. And then the blue that's light the came on. There's, well, this is going to be like an episode of, of CSI. It's CSI wherever Kyle lives. Is that Doylestown? Is that Quakertown? We, we don't have, know. He lives in a sprawling mansion somewhere. It appears Kyle um, was here earlier as I found excrement all over the shade. But, I guess, no, but in, uh, I guess you can look, say he I'm was not, really crossing broad. Wow! So can I finish my point? Can I finish my point? If they can somehow, like for me, the dream scenario is walking away with Dennis Smith Jr. at 10. I know, Adam, you don't like him. I'm not particularly high on him, and he's not a guy I want the Sixers to take at three or five, certainly. But if you can get Monk, the role player that you need, and then also get a pick at number 10 where you could take a guy like Dennis Smith, who has the potential to be a really good player in the league, and oh, by the way, he doesn't have a shot. So now all of a sudden you have Dennis Smith, who can drive, and he's a little bit of a project, but you have Malik Monk, elite role-player shooter, and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, you're really starting to form a team here. And I don't think either of those guys restrict you from signing Kyle Lowry. Mm. I, I mean, Kyle Lowry, Malik Monk, Dennis Smith in the backcourt, Ben Simmons uh, doing whatever, whatever he does and whatever position he's going to play in Joel Embiid. I know I'm not... This, is, this shouldn't be about Lowry. I, I'm sorry for making this about Lowry. I would love Dennis Smith and Monk at 5 and 10. I love I, the concept of the Sixers getting 5 and 10. And I'm also very glad that John kind of hates Jason Tatum. He was complimentary mm-hmm. of him, and then he's like, yeah, he's number 7 on my board. It did right. stand out to me, though. Like he, he has Jackson rated number 2, but he even said that there's a chance that he doesn't become a star player. He just becomes a solid NBA starter. And that's been my fear all along with drafting Josh Jackson. And it's one of the reasons that I'm just not interested in him and why I'm like Adam was saying, like, are, are we are we bigger fans of the trade? Yes. Like, I I would rather have the trade because I just don't believe in Jackson. And yeah. I, I don't think it's and I, I for for a guy to be rated number two on his big board and for him to say that there is a legitimate chance that he doesn't become a star player in the league. He's just a starter. I mean, that that is screaming Evan Turner to me. I know that they're not comparable players. Like I get it. No, but it, Fuck. that is, that no. is scary Fuck. stuff, man. But hold on. Hey, Evan Turner and Josh, Jack- I don't think, I think that's a horrible comparison because right, Evan Turner lacks, lacks a certain athleticism and skill set, And that, that's not really the issue with Jackson. The issue with he's super athletic and in some ways, very skilled 
His problem is he lacks a shot, and that's really his only problem. And if he could develop a shot, he's going to be a, he's going to be a star caliber player. Developing the shot is is definitely an issue. But I, I don't I don't see any parallels between him and Evan Turner. And having watched having watched, like there's a reason why he ranked him number two. It's okay. He, it's okay. To, uh, Roy was I mean uh, Russell was just copying John Smollett's right. article from last. Now, week. you know no That's it's fire just, content he's bringing. I, I think I think Kyle I think Kyle got a little bit confused with my my point was so to quote our former president. Uh, let me be clear. I'm not saying that I think that these guys are comparable skill set wise. I'm saying the idea that a guy at number two, possibly not being a star player and only being a solid NBA contributor is what scares me about Jackson. It's the same kind of thing we heard about Evan Turner. I'm not saying that their games are similar. They're clearly not. Okay, that that's fair. But I think I think Jackson's got a higher upside. Um but I mean, if you, I, I've spent a lot of time watching him play, and I think that his he has such athleticism and skill, and it's not raw. Like he is very polished. He just doesn't have a shot. He's not like some work in project, just a guy who can run and jump. He has a lot of skill, and he's very good on both ends of the court. He anticipates he anticipates the ball well on defense and gets in the passing lanes. What excites me the most, and I don't think people are talking enough about Josh Jackson. And again, this could clash with Ben Simmons. He's a really good passer. When he gets into the paint, he made a lot of passes down low, just like high highlight reel style plays that people don't talk about. You kind of think of a guy like Josh Jackson as sort of a. Um, sort of a dumb offensive player, he can't shoot, he just drives, might get himself into some trouble. That's really not his game at all. He's, he's actually very polished. He has a, has a high, here, here comes, a motor, uh, but he's a terrific passer, and he doesn't get enough credit for that. And I, I agree it clashes with Ben Simmons, and he needs to develop a shot, but I'm not as down on Josh Jackson as you are. I think he's going to be really I good, will be interested. maybe just not for the Sixers. I'll definitely be interested to see, um, and Wasp brought him up, Donovan Mitchell's been flying up. Yep. Um, have just been flying up the big boards. And honestly, Kyle, like I, I know that on a previous pod, like I was raving about Dennis Smith's athletic potential. But if you watch Donovan Mitchell, man, like if if the Sixers were to trade back, I'd I'd rather see them get Mitchell. He's got a a six ten wingspan. He's you want to awesome. talk about you want to talk about a guy who like next level if you're looking for somebody who is a disruptor defensively, Mitchell has him has Dennis Smith by a mile. Thanks again to uh, Jonathan Wasserman. He's on Twitter at NBA Draft Was. Like I said before, on iTunes, he's got a podcast, NBA Prospect Cast. I think he gave us a lot of insight. Uh, follow Russ at Joy on Broad. Follow Kyle at Crossing Broad. I am at Adam Lefko. We'll be back here on Friday. So hope you guys enjoy your day. Hope you guys enjoyed the insight. We will see you guys soon.